How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast. My name's Josh Hutchinson, and I've got John Binkle with me here today. How are you doing, bud? I'm good, brother. I'm good. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, thank you again for leaving us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet and you're enjoying our content, please just take a second and leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, check out the Apples and Genos Discord server. It's a great place to talk fantasy hockey, get your questions answered, and also receive alerts when new Apples and Genos content drops. Um, so today on the pod, we're going to have a discussion about high-risk, high-reward players. So what I mean by that is um, these are guys that are being drafted pretty high, and in, in this case, the guys that we picked are in the top 100 in terms of ADP on Fantrax right now. Uh, Fantrax seems to be like a little more, a little more act, or I don't know. They've had mock drafts open for longer than Yahoo. Yahoo's ADP is kind of still a little wonky at this point, so uh, I thought we'd go with that. I think that works. Um, I think so too. It may get thrown off a little bit because uh, there's dynasty drafts that are happening, but it's it's uh, the best we can do at this point. But these are guys that are being drafted in the top 100. They have potentially massive upside, but that upside comes with risk for one reason or, or another. So um, we're going to talk about about that risk and and whether whether or not we'll be drafting them at that position. Um, so let's jump right into it. So. First off, we're going to talk about Nikita Kucherov. So his Fantrax ADP currently is 5.97. Um, so the reason, well, here, let's let's go into the stats right now. Nikita Kucherov is an absolute monster and doesn't really get the respect that he, he deserves. Um, in 2017-2018, uh, he, uh, he had 100 points. In 2018-19, he was on 100. He had 128 points. 2019-20, uh, he had a 103-point pace. And in 2021-22, he had a 120-point pace. So that's last season. Um, he only played 47 games, and that's that's part of the reason why there's, there's risk. I'll get into that in a second. But that 120-point pace would have put him second in the league. So when Nikita Kucherov is healthy, he's consistently one of if not the best player offensively in the league um and i don't think that that he get necessarily gets the respect that he deserves um as as just an absolute assassin um he uh basically the last few years and the reason why i didn't mention 2020 2021 is because he didn't play at all um so he's had some injury troubles that season. Obviously he missed the entire thing. And there was the whole controversy about LTIR and how he was magically uh, healthy for game one of the playoffs. And they were able to go like $20 million over the salary cap because they had him on LTIR for so long. Um, and so, so there's that, um, but there's still an injury there. There was still surgery that happened. It was, it was surgery on, is hip surgery, which which can be pretty extensive and can be pretty um, tr- trying for a player to to come back from, uh, depending on the severity of the of the injury and the severity of the surgery. Um, but he missed the entire season. Um, last year, he missed thirty five games for surgery for a lower body injury, so they didn't specify exactly what that was. Um, but he did have surgery and he missed thirty five games. Um, 
And in the playoffs, he played through a meniscus injury. He played well. He still was one of the top scorers in in the league in the playoffs. Um, but he was clearly hampered by something. And and they're saying it's a it was a knee injury. So he has been he's taken a beating over the last few years. He's also played a ton of hockey outside of the season that that he's missed. He's played a ton of playoff hockey. So there's hard miles on that body. Um, he. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to say that he's injury prone, but I mean, I think to a certain extent, every player in the NHL plays through injuries every single year. Um, it's just a matter of of how willing your team is to say, all right, just have a seat. We're OK. Um, we've uh, it's been proven that Tampa is more than happy to sit anybody sure. uh, if they have if they have any injury whatsoever. So. Uh, and especially Nikita Kucherov. So they, it's, it's the ballsiest thing. It's so uh, it, it's such a baller move to just be like, you know what? Best player on our team. <laughs> one of the best players in the league. Have a seat. We'll make the playoffs. Just take a breather. <laughs> uh, come back for game one. It's, it's, it's crazy, but it does happen. So this is where the risk is in drafting Nikita Kucherov this high. Now, Binksy, I'm going to ask you first, would you, take that risk on on Kucherov so prior to last season and prior to him missing an entire year I said yes that I would take that risk um last year I wasn't willing to do it at all um this year the the gap uh or the cliff that, that people are calling it at this point at right wing is driving me to take that risk a little bit earlier. And maybe it's a little bit smarter to take that risk with Rantanen. Um, if you're going to take a, a positional scarcity stance in the first round, as opposed to just going on pure point potential or category coverage. Um, I think it's a safer bet injury wise to take Rantanen and, and just go be happier with the floor as opposed to the ceiling. Um, with that said, in a lot of mocks thus far this year, I have been willing to take that risk. Now those are mock drafts, right? So it's easier for me to do that emotionally in a mock draft and feel good about the roster, knowing that it may not necessarily come to bite me in the rear. Um, what scares me about his injury history is that they are wear and tear spots on his body, right? They're not a broken wrist. They're not, mm -hmm. um, these are our soft tissue injuries. They're ligament injuries. They're injuries that impact that his linger. play and his durability and, and his ability to fight through it later, right? The more and more of those injuries that stack on top of each other, the more and more scared that I am. So it's a little bit ironic that, that maybe I'm a bit more willing to do so this year. Um, what kind of salves that fear for me a bit is that he doesn't lose time on ice year to year, even as those injuries pile up, right? No. He's missing more games, but he's not missing time on the ice when he's available. So at the very least, you know that when he is uh, on the roster, that he's going to be on the ice. So that's it makes me feel a bit better about it. I'm still at, at kind of a push about the fear about him in the top seven picks. Um, 
I think I am more and more comfortable with him being a consensus four pick um, than I am worried about drafting him somewhere between six and 10, right? Uh, if I'm at four, I'm more likely to take him than I am at six or seven or eight or, or later. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's gone back and forth for me quite a bit. Um, the ceiling is just so high for him that if he is healthy and then on the team he's on, then, then you know exactly what you're getting. So mm-hmm. um, it, it has to be said, though, the injuries are not um, – this is something I really love that uh, TJ on Five Hole said recently in a pod. Um, I forget the player. I think he was talking about Ekblad, uh, he, where he was talking about how Ekblad is accident-prone, not injury-prone. Uh, whereas Kudrov is injury prone. These are like wear and tear injuries that are happening to yeah. him and they're happening mm-hmm. you know, more often over the last, what, five years. There's no seasons, specific so. point of impact where that, that injury happened. It's just, it's something that, that has a, that is, is like a repetitive, like right. lots of impact over and over again to that same spot. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think positional scarcity uh is definitely a factor that that needs to be considered um right wing um there's only so many killers at right wing in in these drafts and he absolutely Um, is that he is the assassin i mean he's if he plays if he plays he's the best of them all that's the thing so the ceiling for me I'm, i'm i'm typically more willing to bet on floor than ceiling um especially early in a draft yeah more important for the first three rounds for me, the ceiling on him is so high um, that if I'm at, so I'm going to let you in on a secret here. So we're both in the cupful this year for the first time. Um, I am, uh, I'm not, I don't know. Uh, wait, do you know where you're drafting yet? I just pulled it up division? a minute ago, actually. Okay. I'm uh, I'm drafting 10 out of 14, so I don't think it'll be okay. an issue for me. <laughs> I, I am drafting fifth. So this is a very, um, very a hot spot. Then. This is something that I've researched because I'm trying to figure out who to take there. Cause there is a clear cut top four, but then beyond that, it's really difficult. So obviously if one of Matthews, McDavid, uh, dry McKinnon fall to me, I'm going to take one of them. But if it's, if like, if it goes the way that we expect, which it typically does, um, I'm taking Kucherov and I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any concerns saying that because someone takes him if someone tries to snipe me uh i'm just wouldn't gonna be, take one of those top four guys anyways snipe, it doesn't yeah. really matter wouldn't be so much of a I, snipe, so exactly so that's that's what i'm doing i'm betting on that ceiling um i'm hoping that he plays 82 games or at least a a, a good chunk of the season because that point pace and the the way that he has scored at a 100 plus point pace for what 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 is it five seasons now um and then playoffs his his point paces increases yeah it's he he's just he's a ridiculous player i i i am i'm betting on that ceiling uh and i'm i'm betting on hopefully him not having significant injuries so um that's that's my thoughts on kutrov i think he's definitely the headliner on this for a reason that this is I mean, as as high as the ceiling goes, basically for a risky player in the in the first round. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next guy. So Jack Eichel is who we have next on this list. So his his Fantrax ADP is 
30.5. So he's getting drafted in 12 team leagues in the early third round uh, on average. I've seen him drafted in the second. I've seen him drafted in the fourth, but it's right around, right around the third round on average. So um, we all know the story of Jack Eichel. He was unhappy in Buffalo. Um, he had that significant neck injury. Um, and they had that controversy about what type of surgery he wanted versus what type of surgery uh, the Sabres wanted him to have. Um, he was the first NHL player to have the cervical spine surgery done, but it has been done on other professional athletes. So Peyton Manning, right? Didn't they do it to Peyton, Peyton Manning? Yeah, uh, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. I know there was for sure guys in the UFC that had, had it done. Um, but yeah, you might be right. It, it could be uh, one that they did on Peyton Manning. Um, I So we don't know. We don't we don't know if uh, Eichel's Eichel missed a lot of time after that injury. He missed about a year, a little over a calendar year of hockey uh, in key development time, like like at an age where he uh, where he needs to be playing. Right. Yeah. He the thing is, before he got injured, let's let's go through his point paces over the last few years before he got injured. So. In 17-18, he had a 78-point pace, so just under a point per game. 18-19, 87-point pace. 19-20, 94-point pace. 20-21, um, he only played 21 games. This is when he got injured. This is the shortened season. He still scored at a 70-point pace, and that was with the Buffalo Sabres being just absolute hot garbage. So, uh, I mean, and then last year in Vegas, in the 34 games he played, he only had a 60-point pace. So, Obviously, with a new team, uh, the situation that Vegas was in was, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. The, the, the sheer volume of injuries, uh, just the toxic atmosphere, um, just the absolute free fall that they were in. Like, it's not an enviable, I mean, it's not unlike, uh, it's not unlike situations that he's dealt with in Buffalo, but, uh, that's certainly not what he was expecting coming to Vegas. Um, so I, I think that needs to be considered as well. I don't think that I don't think that sixty point pace is necessarily where he's going to stick. Um, it sounds like he's probably going to play with Mark Stone for a full season if he stays healthy. But a lot of this. I, I mean, there, there is cause for concern here. Like, uh, if Jack Eichel reaches his potential, he's potentially a top ten fantasy player. That's that's a huge ceiling. But we don't know if he's going to get there. Um, I, I struggle. I, I think in this situation for me specifically, I str- I would struggle to take him in the third round, especially because we talked about positional scarcity. He's a center, and he's not a not dual eligible. He's just a straight center, and typically, um, unless you're drafting those top four guys like we talked about, um, you could probably fade centers and get similar value, uh, or I mean, a floor that's. Uh, a little more safe uh, later in the draft um, than uh, betting on that ceiling in the third round and potentially uh, screwing yourself. Um, so I, I'm a little hesitant to take Jack Eichel that high. How about you, Binksy? So it depends on the league format for me. Um, I have um, been in a slew of best pub classics um, on underdog leading up to the season. Um, got some content coming out regarding that. Um, but that is to say that 
in a best pub classic, right? In a best puck format where you're betting on what you believe can be true. Um, he's an excellent value, right? If you are, if you are betting in that your assumptions are correct, right? If your what ifs are yes versus no, then he's a phenomenal value. There is just a ridiculous amount of upside there. He is, as far as they go, the bus driver, right? Their team success virtually hinges on him being his pace player and not his overall production player in the last few years. Um, spine injuries are, you never know, right? I mean, yeah. any anything can happen uh, to any hockey player, but anyone with an issue to their, their neck is always going to scare you in general. Um, the culture around Vegas is kind of terrifying for me. Uh, the culture around Jack Eichel compounds that pretty heavily. So in a dynasty format, I'm worried about his injury history. In a redraft league, I'm thinking that there are better ceiling values to be had five, seven, nine, tenth mm-hmm. round. In a, in a best puck format, I think there's – a ton of value in that round with picking him. Um, and that's virtually the only place that I've been doing so. Um, but it is an excellent bet if you think all of those stars are going to align. I don't know yeah. how likely that is, but I have been betting on it repeatedly because I think it is, in his case, as likely to do really, really well as it is to do really, really poorly. I think it's I think it's about a 50-50 yeah. shot, and the round that I start taking 50-50 shots is the third to fourth round. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. It's definitely, I, I would say, 50-50 as well. Um, let's move on to Jack Hughes. So uh, I've got Jack Hughes here. He's being drafted just a little bit lower than uh, Jack Eichel, a little bit later in the third round with an ADP of 34.22 currently. Um, so last year, he had a 94 point pace and only 49 games played. So he struggled with injuries. He's had a couple pretty significant ones over the first couple years of his career. Um, and uh, he, but he, he is being drafted extremely high. So that's, I, that point pace is the closest that he's been to that point pace. Like, I mean, pre the previous two years, he was not even fantasy relevant. Um, last year was a huge breakout, but it was only 49 games played. So for me, while his, okay, it, his, um, his advanced numbers are also fantastic. Uh, yeah. he, if, if you, um, if you look, I looked on natural Statric, and, um, if you take all the players that have played more than a hundred minutes last year, um, he was in the top 30 in individual scoring chances, four per 60 and individual Corsi four per 60. So that's, fantastic so i mean that is also great and that i think that's that's probably worth betting on for me is it worth betting on again on a center um in the third round i i'm not sure i i I don't i don't think so not for me i think i'm probably going again positional scarcity i obviously it's all about how the chips fall in the draft i'm constantly evolving my strategy as as 
based on my draft position and then based on how the chips fall. Um, but for me at 34 in the third round, I would struggle to take Jack Hughes. If he falls a little bit and I need a center, then maybe I think about it. But I'm, again, like a little scared to, to make that bet. What about you, man? The advanced metrics are the things that scream out to me, right? We know that he is just an absolutely upper tier player. Um, in a categories league, he doesn't offer you much outside of um, the pure offensive stats, right? Mm-hmm. So he's kind of a, a young man's Panarin to me in that you're going to get him a little bit cheaper, but you're still likely going to overpay for what is essentially just point production. Um, in a points league, you can absolutely do that. There are other players that I'm more interested in a, in a better value. I don't really have any ifs about his production or the team production. I'm not really scared about him kind of falling back to rookie levels, right? I'm not really scared about him taking no, any steps backwards. I'm not really scared about injuries for him. It's, it's young enough in his career where we can't pin any sort of injury on, on him being a, accustomed to doing that year to year. Um, the actual draft capital that you have to spend on him scares me a bit. He's such a name brand at this point that I don't, I don't really – I find myself kind of begging off every time he's at the top of – um, the ADP for me, and and I'm comparing it to my own queue. I'm I'm more interested in other players in that same area, um, but the actual player doesn't scare me very much. It's just kind of what I don't know how much better he gets, though. You know what I mean? Right. Like that 94 point pace is probably his ceiling. Is that what you're saying? I don't know if it's it's the absolute hard cap ceiling, but it's right there. Yeah, it's, it's right there. It. Yeah, yeah, it's right there yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I definitely agree. I think it's it's one of those situations where, um, at least in the mock drafts and the best ball drafts and and um, the drafts that I've done so far, every single time there's someone that wants Jack Hughes more than I do. Yeah. So, um, and like you said, there's other players that interest me a little bit more in that third round. So. I, I, that, that for me, and, and it's the unknowns, uh, and the small sample size that I think pushed me away from Jack Hughes. I'm just, I'm just not excited enough by, by the what if yeses to avoid the what if no's here. I think that number one overall pick, uh, that, that title, that um, family name really distracts people. That family name as well. Yeah. You're not wrong about that. People are people are crazy about the Hughes brothers, and they should be. But yeah, I just maybe not in the third round. Uh, Bixie, why don't you lead us for the next few here? Okay, so uh, I'm bringing to the table Mr. Johnny Hockey, Johnny Gaudreau, Fantrax ADP of thirty four three. So just just right after Jack Hughes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a player that I am more excited to take um, what if shots on. Um, the things that concern me, he relies on a huge shot volume to really to reach that elite tier point production. Does Columbus offer him that offensive threat? Is it 
that same machine that's going to propel him to that same level, or is he going to be the only game in town? Um, he had uh, his lowest point production years have a super high correlation with a near neutral or negative plus minus. So obviously that those two stats have a correlation in, in his own production and the team production, but the team production itself being poorer pushes that total down for him as well. It's, it's a correlation in both ways. So it scares me a bit to know that he's going to a team that is assuredly not as good as the team he was on last year. And not a lot of teams are going to be as good as they were last year offensively uh, or even defensively at this point. Um, so it's a little bit more trepidatious as to, as to what his ceiling is and can he sustain that level of play. Um, the ADP is kind of being pushed by a new sweater. I think the hundred point season and, and the, the what ifs and people reaching an extra seven or eight picks um, is fun, but it's not necessarily in a great situation. I'm also worried. Does line a return to form, right? We're expecting line a just kind of by default because he's going to be playing with Gaudreau to go back to that level. And we don't know if that's going to be true at all. It didn't happen last year when he was the absolute star of the team. And now that he's not the absolute star of the team, how does that emotionally affect him? Um, is he willing to ride shotgun on team success? Uh, also, we don't know who the centerman is, right? We have a lot of questions about yep. the center. We have a lot of theories about whether it's Kent Johnson, whether it's, um, you know, the phenom hometown phenom uh, cylinder or whether it's just Boone Jenner and he just keeps mm -hmm. just rolling along like he always has until he gets another back injury. There's lots of questions in blue jacket territory and I'm not entirely sure if any of them point to yes. What do you think? Um, I mean, I like Johnny Gaudreau. Um, I think right around this point in the draft is, is where I start considering about taking him. Maybe maybe not quite this high. Um, probably more like fourth round for me. But um, I, I mean, he had he was the highest 5v5 score in the league by a long shot last year. Not even close. No, no one was even close to him. Um, he, I mean, a big part of that is just because the stars aligned with him and Kachuk and, and Lindholm. Um, they were the best line in hockey. Um, but, but Gaudreau was a big part of that. So um, he's been close to a hundred points in the past before. Um, it, this isn't, this isn't his first rodeo. Yeah, I didn't um, get that moniker last year. I, the, but but like you said, uh, there are a lot of unknowns with this new team situation. Um, I like Patrick Line. I think um, he actually scored a point per game pace last year. Um, it, he didn't play the entire season. I think he had a pretty significant injury, but near the beginning of the year. Um, but when he came back, he was awesome. He was like, um, he was prime Patrick line like what you would expect from him so I I mean obviously just because you have a great setup man and a, and a great goal scorer doesn't mean that they're gonna click so and like you said we don't know who's gonna play center there so um anytime you come to a new team there's there's some question marks but I also don't think that people are blowing their loads on Johnny Gaudreau in these drafts right now I feel like he's being drafted like right around where he he uh he should be um 
third fourth round i think I yeah think it doesn't the adp doesn't seem ridiculous to me at all i think it's yeah. i think it's i think it's a reasonable bet yeah I, I i totally agree especially like i i mean you could talk about peripherals and how he doesn't really bring anything to the table there and that and you'd be correct about that but uh um i think um I think I'm I'm okay with that at this point in the draft with the with uh, the ceiling that Gaudreau has. Um, who you got next there, Binksy? Well, I got to turn my hat around for this one. Okay. Oh yeah. Got my stars number one hat on. So this one is uh, ADP thirty seven point eight. Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars. Right. Um, clear line one power play one player will be driving the bus for sure. He took. Um, the step forward into being the real star of the team last year. Um, although I have to say he's line mates with uh, Bandoid boy Rope Hints mm-hmm. and the ageless but still aging Pavelski, right? Mm-hmm. All year long in the offseason, you've heard about how Kreider and Duchenne are going to crash back to earth and no one is including Pavelski in that list, right? This time last year, yeah. Pavelski was dead and buried and this year people are just kind of like yeah you know he's he's gonna keep doing it just because we can't find a reason for him not to so it worries me that Hintz has a lot of trouble staying healthy playing heavy load minutes and Pavelski will be what 38 38 I believe yeah I mean he's no Tom Brady that we know of um so as an aside the contract issues for Robertson are still not revolved. They seem to be um, going forward, uh, but the team cap level is pretty tenuous and mm-hmm. uh, the actual um, upper bass is getting smeared right now in Dallas because Jim Nill just signed a one-year extension before they signed their star player to an extension. So <laughs> that, that has to chap you a little bit. Uh, if you're him, I don't know, you know how that, that affects the negotiations, but um, I feel like one way or the other, he's going to play for them, but is he going to be happy about doing it? Who's to say? Um, Stat-wise, something concerns me a bit. He shot 18.6 as a percentage last year, five full points higher than his in first year, mm. right? Seems a bit worrisome okay. um, in that we don't have a ton of years to go on with these statistics, Right. Um, they were incredibly successful as a top line last year and watching it game to game to game, there were some really, really, really impressive goals. What worries me about that is that they were not always seemingly repeatable, right? Perhaps he's just that level of player, but you would hope with that high of a percentage that, they would be repeatable goals, system goals. And a lot of the time they were just kind of him taking over and scoring top shelf. Um, so at 220 shots, it's no, no guarantee in a new system um, that will likely not ride the first line as hard without any injuries. Um, there's a lot of what ifs for him, for me, especially as we're talking about the late thirties picks I really want to believe in Jason Robertson as, as this level of player. Um, but I don't, I don't know that I do yet. And I think maybe that's just Homerism biting me in the butt a little bit. I'm, I'm more excited about him as a, as a late thirties pick than I am about Hughes or Gaudreau, but I'm still a little bit trepidatious. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I, 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 I would agree that I'm, I feel a little bit more confident taking Robertson at this position than I would like a Jack Hughes. Um, he's a winger too. So that definitely helps. Um, at least in my books, I, I think, uh, you made a great point about shooting percentage, uh, how it t- took a huge jump. 18.6 is really high. If, if that's the, t- if that's the player that Robertson is, that's unbelievable. Um, but I, we're just not sure that that, that is what he is. Um, so I, I still think this is an okay place to take Robertson. Um, but there's definitely questions, right? Like the contract situation, if there is a holdout, and he misses training camp that sometimes has a huge effect on a player. Like we saw William Nylander um, just have a God awful season after he held out. Um, There's, I I mean, Mitch Marner, uh, it took him a while to reach his ceiling again after his uh, contract dispute. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a bit of a tough year, uh, a tough couple of years still was great, but not, not what he could possibly be. Um, Obviously Robertson, um, I guess Nylander is probably not a great comparable because he, I don't think he was really close to his, his ceiling at that point or, or wasn't, wasn't proven as much as, as Jason Robertson is. Um, he's been pretty consistent over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, there are, there are some red flags. There are some concerns, but I, I still feel pretty comfortable based on deployment based on like, he is the guy in Dallas. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I still, I still think I'd be okay taking Robertson third, fourth round where he's being drafted. So it worries me uh, just just a little bit that that his point production was basically 50-50 between between goals and assists. And I yeah. don't I don't feel super comfortable betting on his line mates to produce at the same level. Sure. Um, and I don't feel super comfortable just kind of assuming that he's gonna score at almost 19% again. Yeah. And even no, I think that... and including all of that, still an eighty-one point score, right? It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't absolutely astronomical point totals even through all yeah. of that. So, but I think you know, I think in the third, fourth round, you're still drafting, you're drafting about point per game players, like the people that are are going above and beyond that are pretty much gone at that point. So, I think, I think this is a fair. In my, at least in my opinion, this is pretty fair uh, draft position for for Robertson. Uh, let's, uh, uh, you got another guy here who let's uh, let's talk about him. We're uh, moving into Elias Lindholm. We're jumping a little bit in the ADP. This one's at fifty one point seven, so uh, fifty two overall. Um, mm-hmm. Noting a career high seventeen nine shooting percentage last year. Uh, last time he hit a near figure was with over a hundred less total shots attempted, uh, a career shooting percentage of 12, six. So four seasons of 10% or less. So you're talking about massive, massive differential in shooting percentages between successful and unsuccessful seasons. Um, Huberto obviously fills the Johnny hockey gap nicely, uh, but is it a net positive for Lindholm or is it a net positive for the Flames? Um, also, I'm curious, does Nazem Kadri eat any of his time on ice? They kind of split huge workloads between Lindholm and Backlund last year. They really both eight minutes right at, you know, 19, 5, 19, 7 uh, a night. So I'm concerned that they – work a little bit further through the rest of their lines. I'm concerned that the dynamic leans a little bit 
further into um, the puck on Huberto's stick uh, as the offense works through him and, and a little bit less through Lindholm feeding um, Goudreau and, and, uh, and feeding Maddie. So I have a lot of questions about what happens with Lindholm, not so many questions with what happens to the team success for the Flames. I think they're going to be still a, a very successful offense, but does it lean on him? Do you see that dropping off heavily? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think your your concerns are valid here. So um, obviously, with a new team situation uh, with Jonathan Huberto, like things things changed so drastically mm-hmm. in Calgary. Um, and Lindholm had what a point per game season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was um, significantly below um, the point totals of Kachuk and and Gaudreau, his line mates. Um, but, um, I think he's proven, he's proven that he's a solid center. Um, I think if you, if you're getting an 80 point guy in what, what is this? The fifth round, fifth, sixth round in a, in a, in a 12 team league, that's fantastic value. I don't know that he's going to get there. Um, again, kind of like the, the previous or the Gaudreau situation, um, we don't know who the right winger is going to be. I, it may be a revolving door of people. It might be Toffoli, might be Mangiapane, but either way, that's a significant. Uh, that is a big a step significant back. drop off from Matthew Kachuk. So, I think, um, I think it's going to take Calgary a little bit to gel offensively. Um, their power play is going to be completely different, completely different personnel, a bunch of guys that have never played with each other before. I think that needs to be considered. I don't think people are talking enough about Lindholm and uh, and this new situation because it's almost like it's it's almost like he's playing on a new team, right? Because PP1 is probably going to be Huberto. He may be the only returning guy on PP1 this year, especially like if Uyghur... Yeah, ends up being, being their power play quarterback. One, yeah, he may be the only returning player on that power play, so that's that's to be considered. It's almost like like he's on a, a brand new team. So, um, I I think your concerns are totally valid. That being said, fifty one point seven. I don't think it's I don't think you're risking too much. The upside is Lynn, very 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 high for drafting at fifty two overall. Exactly, and I think you're probably willing to take a little bit more risk. Um, and I think Lindholm provides enough peripherally as well yeah. that uh, I think that has to be said Categ- category think, machine. Absolutely. So I think I, I still feel like it's a safe bet at this position. Um, so the next guy I want to talk about is Dougie Hamilton. So Dougie. right now his, his, <laughs> his fan tracks ADP is 56.4. Um, he's been a great fantasy defenseman for, for years um his last two years in carolina he he scored at a 70 point pace and a 63 point pace and in terms of defenseman he's one of the best at shot like he he, he has um uh, ter- his shots on goal are near the highest every single year for defenseman um last year in new jersey it was his first year with a new team that that should be noted um but he scored at a 45 point pace um and that's a significant drop off. He had a jaw injury, which which really derailed his season. And Severson took over as as the PP quarter PP one quarterback um, when he was out. But then when he came back, he uh, he kind of just stayed there. Severson. Yeah, we all just now kind that, of assumed it would automatically go right back to Dougie, and it and yeah. it didn't. 
at all. Now the yeah. te- the team was in free fall at that point. New Jersey really had a rough go <laughs> the second half of the season. Um, but I I think so. I, I think it would be hard to perform coming back from a major injury like that, anyways. Yeah. But even on the even in the first half, he was he was still his point pace was still well below um, what we would typically expect from Dougie Hamilton. So. At this point where he's being drafted, he's being drafted right around guys like Zach Wierenski, um, Miro Heiskinen. I guess Heiskinen's a little bit lower, but guys that are probably a little bit safer because um, we don't, we still don't know. Severson's still there. He may be the power play quarterback uh, to start the year this year. We don't know. Uh, Every article just changes. kind of assumes he's going to get traded. And I, I, you know, who knows, like they're, that's a very young team. Who knows if they just flip Dougie and go younger. Could be, but that's also a tough con at this point. That's a tough contract to move. He's making $9 million long-term. And like after a season like that, his, his value is kind of tanked. Right. So that's true. I, I think, um, I think there is a bit of risk here. Um, I, I think there's, uh, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know what, what to say about Dougie Hamilton right now. I, I think he's still obviously produced his, his shots were still really well, really good last year. Took a, took a ton of shots. It just, things didn't fall into place and New Jersey was a bit of a mess. So I think if he gets power play one again, um, I, that's a great situation for him, and we, we're probably seeing him uh, reach what what he was in yeah, Carolina. Eclipse that um, 200 shot total, yeah. Especially with improved offensive depth in in New Jersey, there. So um, I just don't know if we're going to get that right. So what what how do you feel about Dougie at this point in the draft? I feel like it depends more on what the rest of New Jersey is doing. Uh, as opposed to what Dougie is doing. Um, It also is, is um, worth noting that it's incredibly hard to stay professional athlete size, right? These dudes are calorie monsters. Um, They're constantly burning energy and it is almost impossible to properly like feed yourself with a broken jaw. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's, Physically, it's like he got mono. You know what I mean? He dropped mm-hmm. dropped weight, dropped muscle mass, and then tried to come back and be the exact same player. And it may not really have anything to do with, with mental issues coming back from an injury as it is just trying to get back into fighting shape, right? Um, I am more concerned that the team isn't good enough for him to be that Dougie of old. Um, right. the teams that he was on when he was that good were excellent teams mm-hmm. and as fun as it is to watch the devils and as many flashes of, of excellence that they have, they're not that great top to bottom. So it's a little bit higher of a reach for me for Dougie than, than his peers in the, in the 50 to 70 range defensively. Yeah. I'm a little bit I, more scared than I was. I think it depends on it depends on who's available there. I think uh, I'm not I'm not saying that I wouldn't take him here, um, but but do you feel good about it though? Even if you take him, not, do you feel no, good about I it? don't. 
I definitely don't. I, I feel a lot better taking a guy like Wierenski around this area if he's available. Um, the next guy I think we should mention is Brad Marchand. So his Fantrax ADP currently is 57.97. So Marchand, as, as most people know, is going to be out until at least December. Um, so he had bilateral hip surgery um, to, to repair torn labrum uh, on both sides, apparently. So uh, that you- that's pretty, that's extensive, right? Uh, that, that's, again, like, that's a situation like we were talking about with Kucherov, where that's not, that's not a, like a one high impact situation. That's hard miles over a long period of time. Right. So that's pretty extensive surgery. Um, obviously, Brad Marchand, he's been well above a point per game for about six seasons straight. He's a, he's a fantasy stud. Um, he's a top 10 to 20 uh, fantasy player when healthy. Um, but this extensive of surgery, it, it, I, I think people are expecting that he is going to come back and just be Brad Marchand, uh, the Brad Marchand that we know. Um, but we saw with Tyler Sagan, he had pretty similar surgery um, back, I guess it was two seasons ago, yeah, came back said, last year. and At least 18 was, months ago now. He was not quite the same player. Um, it took him a while to kind of get acclimatized and, and figure himself out. And he may never be the same player. Um, obviously, Kucherov had hip surgery. Obviously, every hip surgery is a little bit different. I'm not saying that they're the same. I'm just saying that... There should you should probably be taking some pause because he had both of his hips worked on. That's significant. I, um, I think it's kind of a positive that he had both done, as opposed to one where you try and compensate on the other leg and then yep, worry about that as well. Like, I think it's I think it's physically a positive for him that he had both of them done. But I think you're absolutely on the nose about. Sure, he comes back in December, early January, but who is he as a player when he comes back? Yeah, exactly. And I think it should be noted that these other players we're talking about, Sagan and Kucherov, they were a lot younger when they had these surgeries. Brad Marchand is not a spring chicken anymore. He's 34. Um, He's never really had a significant layoff like this, uh, this significant of a time away from hockey. So I think um, that definitely should be considered. I, Me personally, I probably staying away from him unless he falls really late in the draft, like into the like past pick 100. Um, That's when I'd probably take a risk on him. But almost, I mean, you can almost guarantee that someone someone is 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 taking a shot at him um, for for a late season push um, earlier than than when I would take a risk on him. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my take on Marchand. It does seem uh, this ADP does seem really early for me to risk it, regardless of IR slots and format and et cetera. Like it's it's probably closer to a hundred is where I'm. I want a, a virtually full uh, roster before I'm starting to take that whack at it. Totally, totally. Obviously, because because he's such a high caliber player, if he comes back and is just the same Brad Marchand, that's a pretty great pick, and you're you're in good shape late in the season for the second half. But I just I'm not confident that that you're going to get that. There's a there's a lot of starters in the 60 range, so yeah, totally. Uh, 
I, you've got another guy here. Still got the hat backwards going back to the stars. Yep. Um, this one I think is uh, just a huge upside pick, but this is pure feeling. This is um, not so much based on stats as it is um, just eye testing the, the crap out of him throughout his career thus far. Uh, Miro Heskinen, Fantrax ADP of 82. Uh, power play one is finally his for the taking. He's on a top 12 power play team uh, across the board in goals and power play percentage and in power, power play opportunities. So there's a lot of room for him to actually excel in that slot that he wasn't getting, right? You're not talking about him finally getting power play one on a team that doesn't really have any opportunity or success at the power play. Um, what is scary about him is that he's never scored more than 12 goals in a season. And that was his rookie year. Uh, he's never scored more than 36 points in a season. And that was last year. So you're, you're worried about his actual ceiling when we're talking about high upside picks. Um, but the pedigree is just absolutely clearly there. You're talking about uh, a really young defenseman who had the defensive side of things down from the very beginning, a super smooth skater, always bringing the puck up the ice um, in crunch time. So they want him to have the puck offensively and they're making roster moves towards that end. Um, super noteworthy that he is averaging throughout his career, 24 minutes a night, right? He is just constantly on the ice and now he's going to be power play one. He's going to be on the ice more often. So at 82, it is really possible that you're getting a 50, 55 point player at defense. It's also really possible that he's a 40 point player at defense, that he gets on the power play and just continues to hover right around eight, nine, 10 goals a season. And you're getting the same player. The, the upside here is so high that I'm not really scared of the floor because of the floor has already been established for his career. And mm -hmm. he is now getting somehow even averaging 24 minutes a night, he's getting more opportunity in a place where the opportunity is ripe. So it's an incredible value for upside for me at 82 here. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. This is a situation where I think all of the sure things on defense are, are gone at that, at that point. So, um, I don't think it's too much of a of a bet um, for him, especially with this power play one opportunity. Uh, obviously, if they stack PP one and they play the shit out of them, uh, I think Heiskanen's probably in a pretty good situation. Like you could see, uh, you could see a PP one of what Pavelski net front, uh, Sagan and uh, Robertson on the flanks, Hints in the bumper, Heiskanen playing the point. That's a pretty good. It's pretty good. So if they're it's able to if they're able to click, that's uh, uh, I like their chances there. And so, you're not talking about any newcomers in that regard either. Exactly. You know, these no, are, these, these are, are guys, guys who have played together. These are guys that have all been playing together for for multiple years now. So um, that is that's a situation that I'm willing to bet on 100. Uh, especially Heiskanen is just such a great player, such a smooth skater, has so much potential. It's just so frustrating that he. Uh, he wasn't given the opportunity sooner. I guess John Klingberg is the type of guy that 
if you're not playing on on PP1, he's not really bringing you a lot. So, I mean, I don't. I think their hands were tied in that situation. But I think Heiskin and um, he's you, no longer I mean, a star. I don't. I, I don't even have I'm, to say anything about Klingberg I'm, anymore. I'm preaching. I'm preaching to the choir right now. But uh, yeah. Anyways, I, I, I'm definitely okay with with picking Heiskin in here. In fact, I think uh, I think that's a huge upside pick there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you so got last, uh, you got one on here on the list for a high upside defenseman. Who is it? Yeah, our last guy here. Um, so he is just just in the top 100 right now in in Fantrax ADP. So it's Evan Bouchard. So Evan Bouchard is in an interesting situation where I th- I think a lot of people. Well, there's 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 quite a discourse right now going on with him. Um, because he he last year produced pretty well five on five and not getting like a ton of power play opportunity um but he he is clearly going to be the heir apparent for pp1 eventually we just don't know if it's going to be this year um tyson berry's still there and again he's another guy like klingberg where if you're not playing him on pp1 he's kind of useless for you so i think if evan bouchard gets the opportunity at uh, like on PP1 in Edmonton and that power play is absolutely bonkers right like they they are almost automatic um that's a amazing situation for Evan Bouchard and potentially huge upside here um if he doesn't get PP1 I mean he's he's a pretty decent defenseman doesn't do anything like incredibly well like like his uh what, what was his point pace? He had 43 points. Only seven of them were on the power play last year. He had pretty decent peripherals. So I guess around 100 is probably an okay place to pick Bouchard regardless. Yeah. Um, but I think I would probably, there's probably still guys that are playing PP1. Um, I mean, it depends on your league settings. Um, but there's probably other guys available that are going to be PP1 at that point. So uh, it's, yeah, I but think there's PP1. Yeah, exactly. But you don't know if he's going to play there. So that's that's where the risk lies in this situation. So uh, I think obviously the ceiling is super high. I think if he ends up playing PP1 for a significant amount of time, so even even if it's the second half of the season, that you could see you could see him still being like a 50, 55 point defenseman. And that's huge. And that's excellent. Um, yeah. And that with, with pretty decent peripherals as well. So I, I also think he's, um, that's another year of development. He's probably going to get more ice time this year. So regardless, I, I, I think, uh, you're going to probably see a bit of a jump for Bouchard, but, um, yeah, obviously there's, there's huge upside there. Um, but again, a little bit of risk. I think the risk is definitely lower. I think he's uh, uh, a great fit to to cap out the 10 here of high-risk players, right? Because mm-hmm. the ceiling is really, really high for his opportunity if he gets locked into that power play. Um, but like you said, the floor is is not terrible enough for you to be scared away from it at the ADP. Yeah, totally. I'd be really happy to, to get Miro and uh, and Evan in the 8th and ninth round. That'd be That'd be good. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that would be fantastic. So that's all we have for today, folks.
check out the Apples and Genos Discord server. Shoutouts to the band there there for providing our music. There's Spotify links in the episode description. Give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. Binksy's at Binklemania. Nate is at Apples Genos. And I'm at just Josh and 41. Please practice safe stats and happy <laughs> drafting. Have a good one, folks. Good night, world. Thank you.